You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works Volume 92 by Rudolf Steiner, The Listener's Notes of 16 Lectures, entitled The Occult Truths of Myths and Legends, translated by Paul King. This is Lecture 13, given in Berlin on the 12th of May, 1905. In the preceding lectures, we saw how Wagner, the great artist, turns to mythology in order to depict the great interrelationships in the world. The whole content of the Norse worldview up to the time of Christianity is contained in the Siegfried legend. This Nordic worldview has a tragic strain. It ends in the twilight of the gods. What does this tragic strain mean? I mentioned that there were also mystery centers in the north. Norse mythology ends with the twilight of the gods, and what this meant was explained in these centers to the pupils. In those mysteries, a portion was revealed of what was still concealed and would come to pass only in future times. The priests of the Nordic world had to make known that the old world of the gods would decline and out of the fire in which the Norse world would perish, a new world would rise up to a purified love through Christ. The old had to die. Hence the tragic quality toward the end. This is what shines through in Wagner's work in such a wonderful way, this preparatory mood in the Norse legends, which dies away in the twilight of the gods. This Norse worldview has four phases. Humanity passes through four stages before the coming of Christ. Today we live in the fifth sub-race of the fifth root race, which was preceded by others, by the Sanskrit civilization, then the Persian Median, and the Chaldean-Babylonian-Egyptian civilization. The Greco-Roman cultural epoch was the fourth, and now in the north we have the Teutonic-Germanic peoples. Christianity pierces right into this with a new quality. At this stage, everything will change and the old will die out. This is beautifully depicted in the story of Winfred Bonifaci, who cuts down the sacred oak. In the old mysteries, oak means the same as druid. Thus the cutting of the oak means the destruction of the old Nordic religion. This victory over the Druid rites was prophesied by the Nordic mysteries. While the four sub-races were developing in the south, the northern peoples had their own development. There too we have four phases. Development goes through four stages, the last of which is the twilight of the gods. It is curious how the whole previous development of humanity is repeated in these four phases. Humanity has been through various conditions. Norse mythology is a kind of memory of the whole history of the earth. It lives in this mythology as a way of seeing things, as a mythical content. And these four stages of development are alive in Wagner's dramas because he derived them from these myths. Wagner was completely right to compose a tetralogy. These four parts, along with the preliminary evening, depict the evolution of humanity. Christianity will be the fifth stage. 
What is the basic motif in the title Rheingold? And what is the basic motif of our present root race? If we go back to the Polarian root race, we find human beings who did not yet have self-consciousness and who were not yet split into two sexes. It was the same with the Hyperboreans. Only in the third root race, in the Lemurian period, did man become unisexual. And only in the Atlantean period, in his fifth sub-race, was the I, capital, born. That is when man said I to himself for the first time. In the myth, this I consciousness is depicted as a dwarf, as Alberic. It was felt to be something rising up from Niflheim. Atlantis was Niflheim, and it could justifiably be called the land of mists, Nebelheim. Our earth atmosphere had not yet been cleared of its water vapors. There was as yet no precipitation in the form of rain. The human eye was born out of this Niflheim with its seething waters and hanging mists. Wagner expresses this magnificently in the orchestra's E-flat major chord. The basic motif of our present humanity resounds out of Niflheim. Let us be clear what was happening on the earth at that time. Man came to the earth as a soul being. His body was born out of the ether earth. At that stage man is still neither man nor woman, still knows nothing of possessions or property, nothing of power. The soul is symbolized as water. Property, which is also power, is still guarded by the surging powers of the astral world, the Rhine maidens. But something is in slow preparation which emerges in the Atlantean period, the I, egotism. But this original soul being contains something that man must now forego, love that does not yet seek an external being but rests in itself. Alberic has to renounce this love that rests in itself. He can do this through the ring that binds everything of a human quality. As long as hermaphroditism was maintained, man did not need the ring. Only when he renounced soul love, hermaphroditism, did the ring have externally to join what was separated. Man now had to attain love in the union with another separate being. The ring is the symbol of the merging of separate individuals, the union of both sexes in the physical. When Alberich seizes the ring, he has to renounce love. Now comes the time when the human being can no longer create singly. Previously, body, soul, and spirit had been one. Now the Godhead creates the body from outside. The sexes are antagonistic toward one another. They are depicted by the two giants Fafner and Fasolt. The human body has become unisexual. In the old religions, the human body is portrayed as a temple. The Godhead works creatively on it from without. Since he has become an I, man has to create the inner temple, our soul, himself. Love is still contained in the creative Godhead. It still works creatively on the outer temple. In the myth, this is where Wotan comes to take the ring from the giants, but Erda appears and dissuades him from doing so. Erda is humanity's collective clairvoyant consciousness. The god should not keep the ring. 
which holds together what must dissolve in order to reunite at a higher level later on, when the sexes have neutralized one another once more. Thus, through the prophetic clairvoyant power of the earth consciousness, Wotan is prevented from getting the ring into his power. The ring stays with the giants. From now on there is only one sex in each person. Giants signify physical corporeality. Only now do the giants build Valhalla. In a fight over the ring, Fasold is killed by Fafner. This is the dichotomy between the masculine and the feminine. One of the sexes is killed in every individual. A man kills the woman in himself, a woman kills the man in herself. But now higher consciousness must first be born out of the encompassing earthly consciousness. This happens through the union of Wotan with Erda, the issue of which is Brunhilde. There is still something in Brunhilde of the divine all-wisdom of cosmic consciousness. But initially this consciousness withdraws. By contrast, Wotan begets Siegmund und Sieglinde with an earthly woman. This is the hermaphroditism of the soul, the masculine and feminine soul. Neither can live on without the other. The feminine soul, Sieglinde, falls prey to Hunding. The soul has to yield to the physical brain. Now Siegmund's wanderings begin, the soul enclosed in the body. The soul is not strong enough to approach the divine which is lost. The gods cannot protect Siegmund. His sword shatters on Wotan's spear. Wotan has to resign his rulership to the human self operating completely in the sensory element, to Hagen, the son of Alberich, to the principle of the lower self. All the powers swear an oath against the alliance of the masculine soul element with the feminine element. Wotan himself must stand by Fricka, Fricka represents the masculine-feminine soul at a higher level. She urges Wotan to dissolve the connection between the masculine and feminine soul at the earthly level. In life, the masculine and feminine stay joined, but on earth, blood, sensuality is involved. This is profoundly indicated in the trait of incest. This is a prohibited element that plays into the situation and if it remains dominant, Siegmund and Sieglinde, the physical aspect, must perish. Sieglinde is supposed to be destroyed by Brunhilde, all-encompassing consciousness. But Brunhilde supports her and gives her the horse Grana, which carries human beings through events on earth. Brunhilde retreats into exile. A ring of fire surrounds her rock. Now clairvoyant consciousness is encircled by a fire that man, if he wishes to reach the all-encompassing consciousness once more, must pass through to be purified. But Sieglinde, the soul-feminine aspect, gives birth to Siegfried, human consciousness, which is meant to ascend again to the heights. He grows up in seclusion with Mima. He must overcome the dragon, his lower nature, in order to obtain power. He also overcomes Mima. Who is Mima? Mima is able to confer something that makes you invisible, the helmet of invisibility, German Tarnkappe, something of a power that is not visible to ordinary people. The helmet of invisibility is the symbol of a magician, of both a white or a black magician, who walks visibly among us but is invisible as a magician. 
Mima is the magician who, using dark earthly forces, can bestow the Tarnkapa. He wants to turn Siegfried into a black magician, but Siegfried resists this. Siegfried kills the dragon, tastes a drop of its blood, symbol of the passions, and is thereby able to understand the language of the birds, of the sensory earthly element. He can take the path of the higher initiate. He has shown the way to Brunhilde, to all consciousness. Up to now we have three phases of northern development. First the dwarf, then the giants, and now man. The Valkyries signify the second phase, and only in title Siegfried do we have the birth of man himself. Enclosed in his bodily nature, he must find the way back to pure wisdom. The fourth part, titled The Twilight of the Gods, indicates that in the northern world man was not yet mature, that he had not yet reached a complete initiation. Siegfried is still vulnerable on a single spot, on the place where Christ carried the cross. Siegfried was not yet able to take on the cross. This is a profound expression for the fact that the northern peoples were still lacking something, that this Christianity was still a necessity for them. Siegfried is not able to unite with Brunhilde. He is the human soul, born of an earthly woman, of the union of Siegmund and Sieglinde. Brunhilde is what has remained virginal, higher consciousness. In the last phase, higher knowledge must be attained. Because man has not yet attained the capacity to unite with virginal wisdom, he carries the aspiration for higher knowledge as a longing. This lack of capacity has to be overcome. And his earthly lust to unite with Brunhilde leads to an exchange of goods. She gives the horse, he the ring. Until man is able to unite with his higher self, the ring, external coercion, retains its power. Man submerses himself in lower consciousness. He is afflicted with blindness. Siegfried forgets Brunhilde. He comes together with Gudrun, lower consciousness. He will even woo Brunhilde on Gunther's behalf, who is unworthy of her. This means that in the last phase, before the coming of Christianity, man succumbs once more to the impure path to dark forces. The wrongful alliance between Brunhilde and Gunther is the cause of Siegfried's downfall. He is forced to find death through the lower forces in whose power he has entangled himself. The last phase draws near. The three Norns appear once more. It is the phase where all-encompassing consciousness is lost. Quote, the end, eternal knowledge. The wise say nothing more to the world. Down to the mother, down. Close quote. Higher wisdom, which previously had been given to the sons of the gods, is lost on earth. It returns to the eternal. Humanity must now rely on itself. The music drama titled Tristan and Isolde is, for someone who looks more deeply and particularly so for Wagner, a growing clarification of the problem of the twofold nature of sexuality. Male and female only have significance for the physical plane. There is a longing in Tristan to be separate no longer, to find the balance, to have a consciousness that is no longer masculine or feminine. This longing suffuses and weaves throughout the drama. To no longer be capital I, Tristan, but to have Isolde absorbed into oneself, 
to no longer be I, Isolde, but to be Isolde and Tristan. They both lose consciousness of this separation. Thus, in the final words of this work, there sounds out the redemption from separate existence, quote, In the swelling tides of the sea of bliss, in the resounding echoes of fragrant waves, in the drifting all of world breath, to drown, to founder unconscious, utmost rapture, close quote. Every word is chosen out of a deeper knowledge. The swelling sea of bliss is the astral world. Devakan is the world sounding in fragrant tones. The world breath is the life principle in which everything must be balanced out. No longer separated in consciousness, to drown in what is undifferentiated, to founder unconscious, this is the utmost rapture. Indeed, it is utmost rapture for our earthly aspect to overcome sensuality out of the spirit. The rapture that strives for the annihilation of the earthly element has an ennobling quality. It is the overcoming of what it has in itself. This is the problem that Wagner tried to solve in Tristan and Isolde. All these thoughts were not living in Wagner in a conscious, abstract way, but they lived in the myths and Wagner drew them from the myths. It is not necessary for the individual artist to have these as abstract thoughts in himself, Just as a plant grows according to laws without being aware of them, so cosmic forces live in myth as symbolic images of eternal divine truth. Wagner's Siegfried is still entangled in what is earthly. He has to perish in it. Brunhilde is aware of the greater picture and understands what is involved. She surrenders the ring to the Rhine maidens, to the element that has not penetrated into the play of this world. The whole development of humanity goes back to original, virginal substance. A new worldview takes the place of the old Nordic one, a worldview that no longer calls on what is external and sensual, but only on what has remained virginal, on the soul. Brunhilde, who is still entangled in the external sensual element through her union with Siegfried, rides into the fire. From this love is born. This is a thought that is initially still tragic for the North, for what people were able to understand is destroyed. From the sea of fire, from the original virginal substance, love is born out of the spirit. Et incarnatus est di spiritu sanctu ex Maria virgine. Out of the same element from which previously egotism, sensual love, was born, a new feeling is now born that is exalted above everything entangled in the physical plane. Wisdom retreats so that out of a portion of the element that has preserved maidenly purity, love can arise. This is Christ, the Christian principle. Selfless love in contrast to selfish love. This is the great evolution that is purchased by the mysterious involution of death, the demise of the physical. We have kept a strict contrast between life and death. Wood is dried up life. And on this wood hangs the new eternal life from which the new era is now born. A new spiritual life emerges from the twilight of the gods. Wagner longed to depict this Christian principle in its depths. And after he had gone through the four phases of Nordic life, he did so in his title Parsifal. This is the fifth phase. 
Because Wagner had experienced the tragic element in northern development, he felt a need for the glorification of Christianity. The end of lecture 13